0: Hello, Utah skiers and riders, and welcome to Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast. Thanks to Utah's own Pixie and the Partygrass boys for livening things up again today. And a big shout out to High West, Utah's first legal distillery since 1870. High West is passionate about crafting delicious and distinctive whiskeys and helping people appreciate whiskey all in the context of our home right here in the American West. When you're in town, visit one of High West's locations in Park City and nearby Wandship. And as the season inches ever closer, check out Ski Utah's fifth and sixth grade passport programs and the Yeti Pass, each offering you access to Ski Utah's 15 resorts. Go to skiutah.com to learn more. Olympic champion Stein Erickson was the face of the lodge that bears his name for more than three decades. Today, the legendary Stein Erickson Lodge is a standard of slopeside five-star quality. But what is it that makes a memorable experience for guests? In this episode of Last Chair, we'll meet Vice President of Food and Beverage Zane Holmquist, a Park City native who has one of the best jobs on the mountain. An active outdoor sports enthusiast, Zane is right in his element at the lodge nestled into the ski hill. We'll pose to him that interesting question. What all does go into making a memorable on-mountain dining experience? As winter begins to descend on Utah, let's join Zane Holmquist in an Alpen Globe on the deck at Stein Erickson Lodge. And today, Last Chair takes you up to Stein Erickson Lodge at Deer Valley Resort, and with me is the Vice President of Food and Beverage for Stein Erikson Lodge, Zane Holmquist. And Zane, thanks for joining us here today. So great to be here. You know, we're just approaching the opening part of the ski season, and I know holidays are coming up in a short time, and it's a busy period at Stein Erikson Lodge.
1: Always a lot on our plate, you know, the whole ramp up through the fall to get to this point where... You know, we're sort of standing in the gate, ready to go. It takes a lot. And the great thing here at Steins, we have such an amazing team and so many veterans. We do our best to make it look easy, but behind the scenes, the machine is going full blast.
0: Well, I always love coming up here, and part of it is I was a big fan of Stein Erickson, and to go to his trophy case is really memorable to me. But the other thing that has always struck me up here, and we're going to get to this in the second half of the podcast, is what all goes into a hospitality experience? And there's just, in my mind here in the area, this is one of the best experiences.
1: You know, I like to think we do an amazing job, but Park City in itself is really so inviting. Our team members and locals here are so special and we do so much to bring people here. You know, it's what we do for a living. It's our livelihood, but it's also our connection to the mountain and to skiing, our summertime activities. It's a combination of being in a place you love and doing something that you love is I think what makes it special for our guests.
0: Well, Zane, before we get to Stein Erickson Lodge, I want to talk about you and your own background growing up and how you got into sport and how you got into hospitality.
1: I don't know. I guess I was sort of born to be here, sort of a strange combination of things. You know, I grew up in the ski industry. I grew up skiing. My godfather, Zane Doyle, and my namesake, built Brighton Ski Resort. So I grew up at Brighton. My dad was his first employee. My dad was one of the first certified ski patrolmen in the state. So I started skiing at two. I skied every day. My mom ran restaurants. And so I went to work with my dad and whatever local would take me up for a few runs while my dad worked. So that was it. I was two, three, four skiing a hundred days a year. Then when they said, you got to go to school, it was a little bit of a shock for me. I'm like, this is really gonna cut into my ski time. I think I skied more before I was able to go to school than most people ski in their lifetime. So it was pretty special to really be born into skiing and have that connection to the mountain, to Utah, to the snow. You know, it was pretty unique.
0: Yeah. Ski resorts tend to be great babysitters, don't they?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, once you get the kids out on the hill, you can just let them go. And, and that's sort of how I skied. And you know, as as time went on, we moved here to Park City. So, you know, I went to school at Car Winters before the library was still a school. So I went to seventh and eighth grade here in town. So I've been around Park City for quite some time and skiing was always that connection. You know, we traveled around the West and skied really all over Colorado and Idaho, Washington, Wyoming, and and had a great, just a great chance to experience the different flavors of all the great ski town, whether it's Taos or Breckenridge or Jackson Hole or Sun Valley. I was very blessed to be able to have that opportunity to experience the unique characters of each of of those towns.
0: Zane, did you have an opportunity to ski here at Deer Valley Resort in its early days? I did.
1: In the early days, you know, when I went to school, Deer Valley was starting and we were making snowboards in shop class in park city and we would come up at the off time and do a bit of boarding here with homemade snowboards before you could even ride at a resort but in the early 80s i was able to ski here and it was great fun the you know one of my favorite stories i had friends working at deer valley Cooking and I was working in Salt Lake. We were up here skiing one day. It was about 1984 and uh, driving past Steins. And I said, You know, it'd be great to work there one day. I'd like to cook there. And I guess be careful what you say, it could come true. So it's, you know, it's sort of one of those things I'm like, How did this happen? I don't know. I just ended up where I was supposed to end up.
0: Well, you know, I give this advice to young folks as they're coming up that if you see something like that you like and you have it in your mind, it's a series of incremental steps, but you can certainly make it there, as you did. I think you
1: can. You know, the road, sometimes people think the road is straight, but I think to get where you need to be, it's a windy road and and a few hurdles to get there, and that's what makes it special when you're there.
0: I want to get back into hospitality in a minute, but aside from skiing, you have led a very active lifestyle. In fact, I know you're still getting over a little little mountain bike accident you had earlier in the fall, but you're active in triathlon, cycling. What all do you do besides skiing?
1: Well, I grew up skiing and I do my very best to keep the Cooley Rosenberg Clinic afloat with my ski and bike injuries. You know, I grew up road biking, grew up skiing and road biking led to mountain biking in the early days in the eighties and ultimately into some triathlon. I'm no hero. I'm a middle of the pack racer, but I race with heart and fury, And have a great time. I love the Ironman culture and participating in Ironman, but I'll ride any kind of bike. My wife is a passionate cyclist. We currently have 11 bikes in the garage. People think that's a lot, but there's always room for one more. So I ride road bikes and triathlon bikes, gravel bike, mountain bike. If I could ride every day, I would. And I do my darndest to get out as much as I can.
0: Do you have a few pairs of skis in the garage too?
1: I do. I do. I sort of have to shed them off as we add new ones, but my wife and I do keep probably a dozen pairs of skis around. For a while, I would telemark, snowboard, and ski. Telemarking got a little hard as my knees have given up. And I like skiing more than I like snowboarding now. I think a good pair of fat skis in the powder over snowboarding. I'm mostly on downhill skis nowadays.
0: So can you tell us just a little bit about your mountain bike accident this summer?
1: yeah I was preparing had a big race season I did Ironman Coeur d'Alene and did unbound gravel bike race in in Emporia Kansas the 200 mile race and I was getting ready for Leadville 100 and just a few days out from leaving my last training ride just a, a silly accident pretty benign low speed coming off the Mid-Mountain Trail onto the Ontario Fire Road just went down and, and broke the hip and you know, early morning ride by myself, I was stuck. my phone had fallen out of my pocket, and it was like the movies where the guy can't quite reach the keys to the cell. My phone was about six feet away. Finally, a trail runner came and was able to help me, and of course, I had to have fire department come and get me in the ambulance, and of course, I knew all those guys, and some of the guys I know from Deer Valley showed up and and they're saying, what kind of idiot got hurt this early in the morning? It's just me. And luckily the Deer Valley crew took my bike and put it in the shop, told my wife to come back and get it. I've been well on demand and I'll be skiing here in another week or so.
0: And did brunch go on without you that day? You
1: know, I've got the most amazing crew and team. They rose to the occasion and brunch went on flawlessly with or without the chef.
0: Zane, we talked about the passion that you had for skiing as a young boy. When did you pick up your passion for hospitality? You know,
1: my father was in real estate and development and and was a salesman. And he was that consummate schmoozer and just fit that stereotype of a realtor. My mom had a lot of businesses, including restaurants. And so having people over and taking care of people, we always had that. My grandfather was a very generous person and really cared for those in need. and, And always believed if someone asked for a hand, you were obligated to give it to them. I started working in restaurants at the ripe old age of about 12. I couldn't behave myself. And the deal with my mom was, if you stay out of trouble, you don't have to go work. My brother and sister being smarter than me were able to stay out of trouble. And in my case, I ended up in the dish room washing dishes with Chef Miguel. And, you know, 42 years later, I'm still in the kitchen and and I still wash dishes a bit more than you'd think for the vice president.
0: Back in those days, did you get into the kitchen at all and actually get on the grill?
1: My first job cooking was frying tortilla chips and then went on to making quesadillas. The restaurant was a Mexican food based and and then I learned how to make salsa and all the way through school and high school, I couldn't do much else. So it was one of those things, I'll just stick with it. And, and eventually found a great chef, Mel, at the Salt Lake Country Club, who really began my mentorship. And I did a, an apprenticeship at the Salt Lake Community College, Which I'm very proud of and was an amazing program. And then on to the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York. And that took me to Hawaii and California and working in Manhattan. But this was home. When I think about not being here, it's sort of weird. I think about retirement and Maybe I'll live in Hawaii or California or San Diego or Phoenix. And I'm like, no, what's better than Utah? The Wasatch Front is so amazing. And, and whether you're right in Park City or you're in the back of the Wasatch in Heber or Camas or you're, you're out in Salt Lake, up in Ogden, I mean, there's not a bad place. The summers are amazing. The winters are phenomenal. The quality of life here, it's pretty darn special. I think we need to stop telling people about it.
0: Well, I was actually going to ask you, I know culinary schools, it's really like a family. You make a lot of friendships there. When you told people you were from Park City, Utah, did it resonate much back then?
1: They mostly made fun of me. I lived in the city in New York that I'll have leather jackets and fancy wool jackets and overcoats. And I'd be in a Patagonia or a Moonstone Gore-Tex <laughs> jacket and a pair of Sorel's, and they're looking at me like who is this hick from the sticks? And, you know, it was just a Utah boy in the city and they thought it was funny. And it's amazing how you have to explain to people where Utah is. And and you get the, the normal questions, can you get a drink there? And does everybody have two wives? I'm, I'm like, it's a yes and no in that order. So it's sort of funny, you know, when you look back in the eighties and nineties, the view of Utah, you know, Colorado had much bigger presence than us in the ski market and the summer market. But now I think people have a true respect and understanding of just how special it is here.
0: Yeah, it really is. How did you eventually make that bridge to move back to Park City and to get here at Stein Erickson Lodge?
1: You know, I came back from California. My wife was pregnant. We wanted to be back home and had an opportunity to go to work for Squatters. They were opening a a place called Fuggles down in Salt Lake, and it was very short-lived, but it was a beautiful brewery. It, It was a shame it didn't quite make it. So I worked for Peter and really was a part of those early years. I remember when we celebrated five years of Squatters beer. So it's been quite some time ago. And that brought me back here and and from that, I ventured to Deer Valley and got a job and was the chef at the Golden Hirsch. So for about six years, I was at the Golden Hirsch, and it was great fun to work for the Eccles family. And it just had such that unique European ski lodge. It just felt right, and and I was here, and you know things were just really going crazy in the mid '90s in Deer Valley and growing. You could still afford to buy a place in Park City, and then eventually, opportunity came to come to Steins just in time for. The millennium in 2000 and you know it's just been amazing ever since such a unique and special property and that's when i really got to know stein and the erickson family and and russ and the owners here and it just felt like home here at stein's
0: You mentioned earlier that you had once aspired to be here. Once you were here and you were a part of the Stein Erickson family at the lodge here, did you think back to that time years ago where you had kind of aspired to someday get here?
1: I really did. When I first started and all of a sudden you know, I came on board here. Uh, most people don't know. I actually started as the banquet manager. So I, I spent one year as the banquet manager here and I did a little consulting in the kitchen, but I, you know, I wore a suit and was the banquet manager for a bit before they gave me the title of executive chef. And as soon as I got that executive chef title, I thought back to that day when I was like, it'd be great to work there. I didn't imagine it would be in the, in the chef role. So it it's it sort of, you've got a, this small dream and all of a sudden it's 10 times bigger than you ever imagined. And it really felt like I had won the lottery. It it was so unique and so special. And I still look back at that. Every day I come to work, to me, the sign out front doesn't say Stein Erickson Lodge. It says Zane Holmquist Lodge. I make decisions as if I owned it and care for the team as if they were part of the family and do my best to make every guest experience Special and, and unique. And I think that sense of ownership is something we try to instill on the team here and allow them to have that connection with the guest and the space. And we try very hard not to be in a corporate mold. You know, that's just not who we are.
0: It really is a family here. I know that the community is very important to you, and community to you, I imagine, is your Park City community, where you grew up for a number of years, and also your culinary community. And talk about the ways that you give back either yourself or through the launch here.
1: You know, we have so many great local charities. You know, there's so many near and dear charities that we work with, you know, whether it's Working with the Christian Center, really enjoy working with the National Ability Center. We've had a number of team members that have had injuries that have gotten benefit from them and friends. It's such a unique thing and adds so much depth and character to our community. It's very important. But the Utah March of Dimes has always been a big piece, working with our teachers and the school here in Park City to help them when the need comes. You know, helping our young racers and our young skiers through the Stein Scholarship has always been a huge passion, but I enjoy working with culinary students. I have about 20 culinary externs a year that join our team from the Culinary Institute of America and other schools. Teaching and mentoring is a big part of what I do and and trying to give back to the culinary community.
0: Well, it really is good to see that kind of support in the community. We're going to bring in a few food items, which I'm looking forward to. But before we do that, I want to talk about Stein Erickson and having worked in ski racing for so many years. Stein was very important for me and to know the legend of his accomplishments, his three gold medals in the world championships, his Olympic gold in his hometown back in 1952. But beyond Stein as an athlete, Stein was an amazing host. You had the opportunity to work with him for many years. And what are your memories of Stein and what he brought to the place that bore his name?
1: Well, getting to know Stein and Francois and Bjorn, his his whole family has been amazing. I don't think everyone knew how funny he was. I don't know if everyone got his sense of humor. It was very dry and quite funny, but he truly was a showman. He wanted to greet people. He wanted to say hello. On many, many occasions would have to reheat his dinner two or three times. We would send dinner out and someone would want a pitcher and someone would want to talk to him and he'd be up out of his seat for 10 or 20 minutes And he would stay and talk to every person and give everyone that same attention. He talked to everybody, whether you were a movie star or in Hollywood or a ski racer or just an average skier off the hill. He talked to you the same way. He talked to you like a friend. He talked to you like a family. If you enjoyed food and wine and you enjoyed skiing. You were in his family he talked to everybody it was amazing to see him greet people and and chat with folks and especially folks from norway i had a friend come out from norway a young kid and he wanted to meet stein we skied together and i said well we'll see if he shows up today if he comes in just speak norwegian to him Stein came over the table to say hi this young kid doctor popped up to say hello started speaking to him in Norwegian, It kind of set Stein back a little bit. It, it took him a second to, to kind of transition from English back to Norwegian. And, and they talked for a few minutes and we made some pictures together and, and he's sending texts off to his mom. And ironically, his mom went to junior high school with Stein back home. And uh, she was nearly in tears that her son got to meet Stein and, and take a picture with him and, and got to eat here. It was really funny to see how important he was to Norwegians, but to skiers, to ski racers, and even see young skiers and skiers in other genres, whether they were aerialists or downhill racers or alpine racers or cross country. He commanded a sense of, of kind of respect and appreciation from all the various arms of, of this great You know, uh, industry, and that was unique and special to see. But I mean, you skied with him a lot, and I got to ski with him a bit. It was amazing his ability to control gravity and ski so fast, and just literally leave you standing there like you weren't even skiing. It was was pretty amazing. It was unbelievable his command over skis.
0: Ted Ligety told an interesting story in our opening last chair podcast this fall about. When Ted was a young boy, they would kind of joke about Stein and joke about his style and things like that. And there was one day where they were in the NASTAR course and Stein was over there too. And they were kind of, you know, they were 13, 14-year-old kids kind of joking around a little bit. And all of a sudden, Stein hit the race course and just blew them all away. And they, he, Ted said, never again did we question Stein. He was an amazing skier.
1: He really was. But it, he took that same passion to excellence and wanting to drive and guide a hotel that he grew up with. He aspired to see something unique and special here and we still rely on that. We still that passion for caring for people, that heart of what skiing is and and I try very hard to keep that, you know, some people say some of the things you do are dated or I said no, they're not dated, they're the roots, the heart of skiing. Fondue after skiing is just is what it is to me that's such a memory of me skiing growing up and skiing all day and having some fondue and sitting with family and friends and talking. Stein loved that. He loved that afternoon, that two to five o'clock time frame. He loved entertaining and chatting and visiting and having a drink and talking about the day and And this day to come and what the snow was like. And it was just special. And trying to keep that, I think that's a big part of ski town. I think you see each ski town have its own flavor of Apre ski or Apre bike, both now summer and winter. And I think, yeah, you have to have those. And that's what makes it great Fun to travel to the different ski towns and, and see that flavor, but they all come back to that 1940s and 50s foundation of skiing and, and those founders of that town that made them special. And and we have that here with, with Stein and so many amazing folks that made Park City special through the the 60s and 70s and 80s.
0: Very well said. We're with Zane Holmquist, the Vice President of Food and Beverage at Stein Erickson Lodge. We're going to take a short break on Last Chair and when we come back we're going to have some food on our table. We're going to talk a little bit more about Stein Erickson Lodge and the incomparable Stein Ericsson himself. We'll be right back on Last Chair. We're now just weeks from the ski season and you can feel the excitement in the air. Ski Utah's fifth and sixth grade passport program is back for the coming season, offering students an opportunity to ski at each of Utah's 15 resorts for only $45. That's right, for just $45, fifth graders get three days at each resort, with sixth graders getting one day each. Since its inception, over 150,000 students have had their introduction to the sport through the Ski Utah Passport program. It's a digital pass that's easy to use and track. Plus, check out the availability of buddy passes. Learn more at skiutah.com/passport today. And while you're at skiutah.com Look at the Ski Utah Yeti Pass, offering skiers and riders of any age one lift ticket at each resort for just $649. Passes are limited, so get yours today. Now let's head back to the deck at Stein Erickson Lodge for our conversation with Chef Zane Holmquist on Last Chair. And we are back again on the Last Chair podcast with Zane Holmquist here at Stein Erickson Lodge. And I should say, we are actually out on the deck today in one of the Alpen Globes, one of the, uh, uh, let's say one of the benefits came to us during COVID, a new way to dine.
1: Absolutely. You know, in the worst of things, there's always something good that comes out. You know, our Alpen Globes out here, we've got six of them now. Such a great venue to enjoy the outside, but be warm and in your own little space and kind of Just get your group of skiers together, your family, your friends, and talk about the day and have some libations. And and enjoy the food.
0: It's really great. I know that last winter, it was really the place to be. It was one of those ways that you could actually take your group out to a restaurant or a dining area and and actually have a great experience. Uh, And it's wonderful in the snow when the snowflakes are coming down and we have clear sides to this. And right now, we can see up to the blue sky. So great experience. We're going to talk about food, though. That's really why we're here, to talk about food and drink and the memories that it provides us. And we're going to talk about some specific dishes here. But I'm kind of curious as a chef, you, particularly at a place like Stein Erickson Lodge that has such a legacy and such a tradition, how do you balance that tradition with the new trends and things that are coming in? Are you constantly evolving what you're offering?
1: We do. And it's a yes and a no. We try to change. We try not to be too fad- forward we kind of go our own road but there are new things that come along and expectations that people are looking for sometimes in in flavors sometimes in cuisine and sometimes it's health related you know it's it's less gluten it's a little bit lighter so we stay with those changes and trends in in food a little bit but i try to stick to what i do what we've done at steins and there's always this thread of a bit of scandinavia growing up in a swedish family there was always tastes and flavors We're still Americans. We still had pizza and spaghetti night and meatloaf night growing up, but there was always Swedish meatballs or herring or some smoked fish. There was always some flavors of that. So I've always kept that here. I've always kept that nod and tradition to Stein in a bit of what we do in in, in no way, shape or form are we a Norwegian or Scandinavian restaurant, but a bit of those elements are there. I like the elements that tie people to skiing, both in drinks and food. I, I think they're great. But I think cuisine is tied to the space and the, and the people you're with and that's what creates the meal. It's It's more than a dish, it's an experience. If you're having this amazing piece of fish with that one special person in your life and you're on the beach in Hawaii, I can't replicate that here because I'm not on the beach in Hawaii and it's not that time. It's sort of the food links us to those memories and I think the smells and the taste Linger longer and deeper than the other elements in our memory, and you bring back those cues. You know, it, it happens with people with with the holidays, with pumpkin spice and those Christmas flavors. Um, that smell of the Christmas tree in the house, that smell of hot cider of a turkey roasting. You know, that smell when you go into an Italian restaurant or you're walking down the street and you pass an Indian restaurant and those cumin flavors and and coriander come out those things really link us to time and place and and i think they're special they're unique to us as as, as human beings
0: when you look at this restaurant here the glitterand restaurant and and some of your others there's a certain sense of stateliness to the place there's a tradition in german it would be gemuschlichkeit all of those elements really play into the memory you take away from having a good dinner
1: they do and it's more than me we have you know chef John Miller, chef Evan Lavalley, all of our chefs help create the food and dishes Chef Jeremy Garcia our pastry chef they all add to that and they all create dishes and, and it's a collaborative sense and all of those minds come together to create those dishes and the trick is, once you create great food, it's replicating great food day after day. That's the trick. And that's where restaurants fail and chefs fail. People get upset. There's no 100%. I don't care what business you're in. You don't hit a hole in one every time you hit a golf ball. It's just not the way it works. So we do falter and fail and, and it's how you recover from those with the guests. And I think it's being sincere about providing an amazing experience and not being arrogant or cocky about it. And then there's accepting those challenges or days when it didn't go quite right, those days when you miss that experience for that guest, truly doing everything you can to make it right for them and letting them know that you took it personally, that you failed on that experience. And I think that's what we try to do here. And luckily I think we get on base more than we don't, but that's the trick and it's the service and the food. Jason Barrett, our food and beverage director, runs a great crew. It's about the service as much as the food. It's about how the person presents it and and takes care of you and sort of ushers you and holds your hand through the service that's the difference between something serving you and a professional waiter they really guide the guest through the meal choice through the beverage choice through the service choice knowing to not be in the way and know when to be there you know the waiter shouldn't be part of the show if I'm enjoying a night with a friend but they should know when I need another drink and another meal or the next course so it's all of those things come into play and you know we try to keep it simple by really good product, the best available, try not to do too much to it, get our staff in sync and let them do what they do the best. But I think it's, it's creating that history and we have amazing tenure here. And I think that adds to that experience, those faces. And I try not to feel like an old guy. My wife thinks I race bikes and do things as my midlife crisis, but it's hard when I see people that were kids skiing here. And now we're doing their wedding here. It happens every year. We have four or five weddings. And the reason they're here is they grew up skiing in Park City. They came here. They skied at Steins. They stayed at Steins. They own a home in Park City. And they were so connected here. They wanted to get married here. It's an honor to be part of that and and be able to host them and, and take care of them through their wedding. But I'll tell you, when you remember a kid when they were eight or nine and now you're doing their wedding, it sure makes the age come right out. And I feel a bit older.
0: Zane, we're coming into winter now and you need to kind of change the senses and the feel around. What are some menu items that are quintessential winter ski season here at Stein Erickson Lodge?
1: You know, I think we have classics, you know, today we have our Swedish meatballs, which is a dish I grew up with. And I sort of joke that it's my grandmother's recipe, but it really is. I mean, this is how she made them. And we had these, if you went over for Thanksgiving, you went over for Christmas, if you went over to grandma's for your birthday, she had these Swedish meatballs. It's basically what I grew up on. So pretty traditional, but I think our Stein's fondue, our Caesar salad that has this 1980s genre about it. A couple of the first dishes when I first came here I put together with the classic Steinberger. You know, I've run into people in Mexico, in Spain, in Florida, and California, and they if you tell people you're a chef when you're on a plane, you're gonna talk the whole time. So you gotta be careful. But what they say to me is, oh my God, a trip to Park City without a Steinberger is not a trip to Park City or the Sunday brunch. We fantasize about it. We never miss a Sunday brunch when we're in town. So I think our, our Sunday brunch, our Steins Wild Game Chili, and the guys are getting that ready to put out. And, and those are some of the first things I brought here 20 plus years ago. And I think they still are part of who we are in this space, in this restaurant. We have very modern dishes and dishes that are you know very current, but we have this undertone of, of tradition and throwback and and I hope to, at least as long as I'm here, they'll, they'll stick around and hopefully a few more years, we'll see those things every time you visit.
0: I love your story about the Steinburger because that actually really sums up this principle that, I mean, a hamburger is kind of a hamburger, but it's the atmosphere. It's the place you had that, the fact that it's Stein's burger. Those all go into a good experience.
1: They really do. I mean, it, we really care about the bun and the meat and all the things that go into it, but there's a million great burgers out there. But I think it's it's the burger here and the way we prepare it and the consistency. If you had it 10 years ago and had it today, it's the same burger. And it's it's such a unique thing and, and it, it really is amazing. I mean, I've been sitting on a beach somewhere or hiking or talking to somebody at the edge of the Grand Canyon and they go, oh, I could eat a Steinburger right now. Uh, and it's really fun and it's flattering and it's great to be part of that. You know, it's, of course it's our whole team. I'm just a little bit, occasionally they let me drive the boat, but it's really the team in the back that runs the show. And it's less about me and more about this amazing group of people that run Stein's.
0: So we have some Swedish meatballs in front of us. And this was one of Stein's favorite dishes, right? He
1: enjoyed these. They were always great. He'd always tell me that the mashed potatoes weren't hot enough. And that was one of the other things with Stein. I could never make the soup hot enough for him. And I tried to explain to him, Stein, we boil water here at about 190. It's as warm as I can get it. Every day he would tell me chef, I don't think the soup is hot enough today. He had several things he'd always joke with me about and it was always in good fun, but you know, he, he really cared about what we did and and wanted to have that input. And, And I always listened. It was really important. You know, he listened to guests and got feedback, but it was great fun. You know, Stein always had a bowl of soup. He loved the creme brulee and he'd always give me a hard time. If we did anything fancy, he's like, let's just do the regular creme
0: brulee. This is very good, by the way, and creme brulee is one of my favorites too, but I had to dive into the Swedish meatballs. Now, this is another dish that really is pretty simple. You know, We're all accustomed to it. We grew up with it, but what are some of the hints and things that you do with this to make this a little bit different?
1: I think it's the way we make the sauce and we make a true veal stock, and then we make a traditional little demi-glace, and then we add really quality lindenberry preserves to that. We start with great, amazing veal. We make our mashed potatoes, you know, the old-fashioned way. We peel them by hand. We don't machine peel them. We boil them. We put them through a hand food meal with whole butter and cream. And there's nothing slimming about these. But everything in life should be in an excess. And it's okay when you're going to splurge, you should do it with an excess. And when you're going to be mindful of your health, you should do it with an excess. And when you ski, you should ski with excess.
0: I can see the subhead right now. Everything should be done to excess. That's sort of my life,
1: and maybe that answers to the seven knee surgeries I've had, but you should do everything in life with great passion and great care, but don't do everything all the time.
0: Well, this is really an amazing dish. I want to segue now onto drink, and you certainly have a wonderful wine list here, but what are some specialty drinks that are really quintessential winter?
1: You know, there's so many, but for us, you know, we've always had a mold wine, a fun recipe. Whether you refer to it as a glued vine or mold wine, you know, that warm mold wine with a big piece of orange in it, those cardamom and coriander and clove flavors are just amazing. I think to me that says I'm skiing. But you know, a hot apple cider or some of the fun drinks we do, things like a snow plow, a peppermint, hot chocolate, those things I think really tie skiing together and again if you talk about Stein's, you can't not talk about Akavit. I mean, it's the water of life. I think just a handful a handful of us whenever we celebrated with Stein or celebrated his birthday, we always had Akavit shots, and probably ninety percent of the the team and guests wouldn't take the shot i I' had to say I was one of the few that always finished their shot along with Stein's, and it was always great fun to have a couple of smaller, large sips of Akavit with Stein. You know it was always great fun to to do that but i think that's a connection to skiing but again you can't go wrong with an amazing beer we have so many amazing brewers here in utah i think beer and skiing just like beer and mountain biking they sort of go together it's 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 like a reese's peanut butter cup skiing without beer isn't skiing in my mind and i think it changes you know i like you know drinking a pilsner or an ipa in the summer but you know drinking a red ale or a brown a nut brown or a, a porter in the winter Is pretty fantastic too. And whether you lend yourself to more of a European German style beer or our American style beers, you know, we celebrate Utah as much as we can. And we represent, I think, some of the the best beer list in town and really try to showcase our amazing Utah brewers and distillers.
0: It is interesting in Utah. Utah, for folks who don't know, was the home of the first Ski Town brewery with Wasatch Brewing coming in. We had Greg Scherf, the founder, on last chair a year ago. But there are, there's so many distilleries. There's so many breweries now. It's really quite remarkable.
1: When you look at numbers, we're still way behind Washington or Oregon or Colorado, a number of brewers. But I think what we make up for in not having quite as many we make up for in quality. I mean, we have dozens of great, great brewers here and, and passionate craftsmen and women that that put their heart into what they do. Our local distillers are just amazing, whether it's High West or Alpine, or, they're also just so talented. And I think the things that they use here, the, the the products that they use here, the water we have here in the mountains, I think come through in their product, just like it comes through in the in the food that we put out here. And it's it's amazing to be part of the, the food and hospitality scene in Park City in Utah. And I'm very proud to have, have been in this journey with so many great restaurateurs and brewers to bring Utah from the 70s and 80s as sort of a mockery of food and, and beverage. And people thought we could never get a drink here and made fun of us with our mini bottles and our crazy liquor laws to where we are today where I think we can put our food in Park City and, and Salt Lake and Utah up against any town. When you look at, at the Brewers Festivals, you see our Brewers bring home as many medals as our athletes, which is just pretty cool.
0: It is pretty cool. Well, Zane Holmquist, it has been great to have you here on Last Chair, and we're gonna close out with our traditional Fresh Tracks section and ask you a few simple, I hope, questions. Uh, one that I wanna start off with, I know that you're very active in triathlons, but do you have a favorite triathlon that you've done around the world?
1: You know, I've finished Blanc. And it was my first triathlon uh, out of the US and what a cool ski town, what a cool mountain. I have not had a chance to ski there. If, if you haven't been there, it's Park City. If you move Jordan to the bottom of main street, you'd have Blanc. I mean, you have this amazing lake. Right on this on this ski hill with this incredible village and the Canadian hospitality and I think when I was there I think I ate poutine about twenty five times in four days but a beautiful mountain race and and it, I felt a bit like home other than when I had to switch my bike computer over to K's instead of miles and trying to do math and not fall off the bike at the same time complex it is a little bit when you're when you're you've got yourself in the red and you're you're very staggering to get by and try to convert math. Great fun. But I think Blanc is awesome. But racing in Utah, St. George
0: is as tough as they get. So let's go back to skiing. And I'm not going to ask you your favorite run. But if you're going out on the mountain here at Deer Valley Resort, what's a fun day for you?
1: I like to do when I have friends come, I tell them we're touring the whole mountain. I'm like, hang on. And you know we'll usually head out from Stein's with a coffee in the morning. And I'll take them and we'll go up and we'll do Stein's way. And then we'll work our way, you know, back down and over to the gondola and back here to Mid Mountain and then up to the other side of the hill and end up over on Empire and get a little skiing in there. Now that's a regular day. My favorite days have been Tuesday, Wednesday in January. Uh, it's quiet in town. We get 18 or 20 inches and I'm on first chair and you know, eight, nine runs down Empire, and there's like ten people out and it's fresh tracks over your head every day. And people say, There's no good skiing at Deer Valley. I'm going to stick with snowboard and Alta. I'm like, I love both of those resorts, but I had a heck of a day today by myself.
0: It's a little secret, you know, people just think, you know, you got to go elsewhere, but there's a lot of it here.
1: I love skiing at Alta. I I skied there a ton and, and, and growing up at Brighton, but, you know, four hours into the day, there's no powder left. Four days after a big snowstorm, if you're a local here at Deer Valley, you can still root out face shots, which makes it pretty special. As
0: a chef... What's a really fun dinner for you to have here? You know, it, it to me it's when
1: I can dine with family or friends. It's really it's who you're with. You know, it's great fun to have my brother-in-law and sister-in-law out this year and and dine with them, but I love dining with other chefs. And when you when you get four or five chefs together and we've had a few libations, we talk and make fun of one another and and we talk about our guests and the challenges. You know, being a chef is a really tough job, physically hard on the body and mentally hard on the body and I don't know, dining with a dozen colleagues and really really just enjoying ourselves is pretty cool. I think it's a bit like when you see uh, uh, guys that served in the military together and they get together, sort of that same connection. Even if it's a chef I don't know, we have a bond in the kitchen and a connection. It's equally as hard no matter where you are. To me, that's special. I like it when I eat something different and and it's food I haven't had before and a restaurant I've never dined in before and I get to have a drink I've never had before you know, exploring is cool to me.
0: Do you have a favorite High West whiskey brand?
1: I got to tell you, I, I like to make an old fashioned with campfire, sit in front of the fire with my feet up. I, uh, will, my wife and I'll, we have a camper van and right now I, I think the bottle's nearly empty, but there's a bottle of campfire in the van for those trips when you're sitting by the sitting by the campfire under the stars somewhere. I like the campfire a lot, but uh, a number of their uh, whiskies are great, and they're getting better. You know, it, that's the awesome thing. I've uh, been around since they've really started, and to see them just grow and and continue to to put out, I think, such an amazing product. They've committed a, a a lot to their marketing, and they've just got an amazing niche. But I don't think there's anything else quite like the campfire.
0: Yeah, I love it too. Final question. This one might be a little bit challenging, but if I asked you to give me one word that describes the hospitality experience that you're trying to deliver as a chef, what would that one word be?
1: I think personalized. We have so many different guests and meals are different. You know, we, if I'm going skiing in the morning, I need a bowl of oatmeal. I don't need a it special. It's its a utilitarian meal. You know, the snow's coming down. I'm going to hammer the runs. I need some nutrition. And then there's a dining meal and there's guests that are in a hurry and guests with kids and it's a special occasion. You know, so we try to get our team to create that that customized, that personable experience and understand what that guest is looking for at that time in this meal.
0: Zane, thank you for joining us here and inviting us up to the uh, Alpen Globe here at Stein Erickson Lodge. It's been great to talk to you and get to know a little bit more about hospitality. And I know that a lot of folks are going to be coming up here this ski season. So thanks for joining us on Last Chair.
1: You know, we got nothing but great snow coming this year. I know it's going to be awesome. I hope I get to see everybody. Come back and see us again. Always great to chat with you. Always great fun to chat about Stein.
0: Great. Thanks, Zane. Zane Holmquist. Executive Chef and Vice President Food and Beverage here at Stein Erickson Lodge. Thanks for joining us on Last Chair. It's always great to get together with Zane Holmquist. When you're visiting this winter, take a break to check out Stein Erickson's Olympic and World Championship medals in the trophy case at Stein Erickson Lodge. Time is getting short until the lifts are spinning, so check out the Ski Utah fifth and sixth grade passport programs, plus the Ski Utah Yeti Pass for an opportunity to ski all fifteen Ski Utah resorts this coming season, all on one pass. Learn more at skiutah.com. The Ski Utah Last Chair Podcast is brought to you by High West Distillery. Follow our whiskey adventure on all social media platforms at drink high west and remember sip responsibly high west whiskey 46 percent alcohol by volume high west distillery in park city utah thank you all for joining us on last chair we'll be back soon with more episodes to close this out let's welcome our friends pixie and the party grass boys thanks for listening i'm tom kelly for last chair presented by high west have fun it is a great day to ski